Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host, Aaron, and I'm talking movies and films with my best buddy, James. Hello there, sunshine. How are you doing, James? You're right. I'm absolutely gravitating towards greatness, my friend. How are you? I'm I'm good. I didn't prepare anything half as good as that, so I'm just going to say good, James. I'm good. Are you gravitating towards good, though? I'm gravitating towards something. It might be the can of Pepsi in front of me. I do not know. This is Sorry in My Seat. We get around the mics each week to talk about a different movie topic or theme within movies on the quest to find the greatest of all time. This is lukewarm film chat. All right, it's mediocre. It's the beige tea of podcasting, but you know what? I like a fucking beige tea every now and again. As you, okay. <laughs> beige. <laughs> it's, the, it's the corduroy trousers of podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. That's a better way of looking at it, yes. But um, we thank you all for downloading. If you like the show, don't forget to uh, subscribe. We get a new episode every week. And if you like the show, leave us a review and reach out to us on social media. It really does help indie podcasting. This week we've got, uh, we always try and find a theme or a connection or a reason or a purpose to doing these podcasts. Last week we did the A to Z of the movie, of the 80 movies. the 80s, yeah. It was cracking fun. It was some great films, but more importantly, some great themes there. A lot of great analytical work went in there. Uh, I think you won last week. I was very proud of you with some of the things that you said. Oh, that's very kind. I really enjoyed it. I, re- I really loved revisiting some of those classic movies and, and kind of dissecting what makes 80s movies so distinguishable and permanently time-stamped in that retro decade that was the 80s. I love it. And afterwards, of course, there was those times that I like, I wish, I've always said in this podcast, I loved the 80s version of the future. Forever should have had future. I, I hate these lists because afterwards, they're great fun to do. Afterwards, you always think of balls. I missed one. I missed that great. Yeah. I, all the time, every time. It's always the way. I think um, if you didn't go back, if you didn't, sorry, if you didn't hear last week's show, do go back, check that one out after this episode. We've done all sorts of other shows on, uh, on you know, things like Rocky recently, We the series. We did uh, Ghostbusters. We've done director specials sometimes we take on a specific actor or a genre in movies there's loads of stuff 142 episodes now to go back and dissect the last few weeks i've been losing it because when i get really excited i've realized something listening back is uh, my mouth moves too slowly for my brain my brain is just like shitting out words it's like you gotta say this that and they come up with some weird sentences in that rocky one I don't even know what I was talking about at the end when we talk about Rocky V and Mickey visits him from beyond the grave. I, I, I was listening back to it going, what am I talking about? But he zoned out for a moment. It, do you know what? It was fun. It was, it's, it, when I get passionate about something, I apologise that if you, you couldn't catch up with my the words of a madman. <laughs> talking of which, though, keeping on the theme of Rocky, we did put out a poll on Twitter afterwards looking at uh, what was uh, what is people's favourite sequel out of the original five? So before we got into the territory of Rocky Balboa and then the expanded universe with Creed, we started looking at, at you know, after Rocky won, the ultimate classic uh, Rocky movie, two, three, four and five, what was people's favourites? And we had over 420 people vote in this poll. 420 is amazing. I don't even know 420 people. Well... Coming in at first place was Rocky Four. Not shocked by that in the slightest. 45% of the vote. It, wow, that's, that's over 200 people then. Yeah. Oh, nearly 200 people. Nearly 200. Yeah, that's fantastic. Then it was uh, Rocky Two. You see, that surprised me. I thought it might be Rocky Three. I, someone wrote a brilliant comment though about um, how Rocky Two is a continuation of the characters and gives us a bit more of that arc of the initial, you know, and it still has that same flavour and tone of the first movie, and which is quite hard for a sequel to do. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think Two is is a brilliant movie. Then it was number three with twenty three yeah. percent of the vote. And finally, with only 5% of the vote, was Rocky Five your personal favourite? It's not my personal favourite. I No, no, let's get this sorted right now. Rocky Four is the best one. I love all the Rockies. I just think Rocky Five in, in years to come, when Sylvester Stallone passes on, unfortunately, and we, we revisit the Rocky films again, 
Rocky Five, when you watch it, it has the stigmata of not being very good. I just think it's a lot better than people think. It's not my favorite. Rocky Four is my favorite. I've got a soft spot for Rocky Five, though. It's not the best. Everyone likes the underdog. It's the beige. It's the corduroy <laughs> trousers of the Rocky films. <laughs> yeah, I, I like them all. What a franchise. What a performance. We are eating into this week's episode with reviewing and uh, revisiting the last episodes. Um, we can't have that, James. Why? What's this week? This week's very special theme is we have 90 minutes to talk about as many films as we've seen in the last seven days because this has been a really busy week for you and I watching movies. Some great, some okay, and some really, really bad. Um, there's so many films we've realised we've watched in the last seven days between us. We don't actually know how many films we've seen collectively. We're just <laughs> going to go for it with no notes and just see what happens. 90 minutes. We're already in there now. We're already five minutes, wait, 20 wait, So in. you've included the beginning. Included the intro so music. Just, let's move on. I don't give a toss what kind of mood you're in. Let's get on with it. Get on with it. Which Although was, quickly, yeah. what is the meaning of life? Fucking, this is not the week for those kind of oh, questions. I've, I've got some I've just been thinking about this week, so I'll try and I'll try and limit them. I, I, I wouldn't even know what the meaning of life Get on was. with it, Aaron, quickly. <laughs> uh, so where do we want to start? Like I say, a real collective uh, bunch of movies this week. Do you know what? The Oscars came out. We were There was a film that you were desperate to see, uh, Sound of Metal. I think it's probably a great place to start there because it's the fantastic Amazon film that came out. Yep. Um, and we've both seen it. I love this movie. Um, shall I start? Yeah. Uh, sound of Music, directed by Darius Marder. Sound of Metal, not The Sound of Music. I've watched the wrong film. Is this one not I've danced, isn't it? <laughs> uh, sound of Metal. Sorry, I apologise. There's, there's the brain moving too quickly for the mouth again. The brain's often wrong. 90 Minutes, starring Riz, Mar- Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, and Paul Rassi. Ruben is a drummer for the band Blackgammon, and he travels the country in his RV with his bandmate and girlfriend Lou. Ruben is a recovering drug addict. However, Ruben begins to suffer hearing loss, finding it difficult to understand people and hear the music, so he might miss, like, when he comes in on a song. Um, so he, the operation to have a cochlear implants after he finds out he's losing his vision... Uh, Hearing is too expensive, and Lou worries for Ruben's sobriety. So they organise for Ruben to go to a rural shelter, a rural shelter for recovering addicts who are deaf. The shelter is run by Joe, who starts trying to teach Ruben what it means to be deaf, helping him to get used to the silence, working with children, and teaching him sign language. So I've gone very broad there with my synopsis because I, spoilers, I flipping loved this film. I set this up as like no notes, let's just go, and then you pull out these amazing notes. Yeah, I do. I do have some notes here. (laughs) yeah, I, I, Rizmar, Rizmard, Rizmard, is I think quite possibly top British actor at the minute. I've been campaigning for him Are to you be have? the next James Bond. I think it's genuinely between him and Dev Patel because I would love Dev Patel as a younger kind of like more computer based spy who has to learn the other side of things. But do you know what, mate? I love him. I love. I love them both. Why not? <laughs> anyway, anyway, Sound of Metal. What really works in this film is we're drawn in by Ruben's, we uh, experience the world through Ruben. Ruben is the straight man who, as he goes through the journey of being eventually deaf, it's how he, as someone who who experiences life through music, has to live in a world where he will never experience that again. Now, you are a musician. A musician, that's a mm. word. So I imagine this this connected you on the next level when you were listening to it at the beginning, when you, when you thought, what if you can't hear the music that you're playing? But I think it does an expert job and really gets to show you a world that's actually quite secretive to a lot of people. I never really thought of deaf people even having um, their own shelters, that type of thing. I, I genuinely thought this film was an experience, a tour de force in a world I don't understand. Brilliantly done by Paul uh, Rushy, who is a deaf actor who plays Joe. And I thought his performance was quite possibly one of the best performances I've seen this year. 
Yeah, I, I I loved everything about this movie. I think breaking it down, I think the the introduction of like say Riz uh, Ahmad and, and Olivia um, Olivia Cook. Cook, who is awesome and is is so on it and everything she's been in, she's yeah. flawless yeah, in, yeah. in the majority of there films and TV shows. Um, she was great in a Pixie. Was your film that? Like, yeah, Bates yeah. Motel, and she was the best thing about Limehouse Golem. She tends to shine in any role that she gets given. I think the two blend and work well, you know, seamlessly. And the introduction of them to on stage, this kind of punk metal duo, this chaotic, loud, um, emotive, passion-fueled sound that they've created and created this bubble, you know, of like-minded people that come and support. It's this community and then... It, you know, what it is, is it's about identity. The whole movie yeah. is about that. It's about what makes you, you. But I believe that's part of the of what deaf people believe as well. It's not a disability. It's just how you perceive the world. It's a great job. Did you have to turn the volume down in the first minute? Because it opens with him playing drums. It was so loud. I know it was supposed to be because mm. the contrast of what happens later in the film when they, it's the absence of music. There's a lot of muted. They, the film will go about 10 minutes with nothing being said. And that's beautiful. But I remember it hit me right in the beginning, this this pounding music a lot like uncut gems with that just that squaggle of people talking i was like i'm in this film immediately mm. so cracking job there it does it certainly it certainly kind of draws your attention in i think the film's i mean it's immersive and inclusive the the sound editing as you're saying there is to give you as the experience that ruben is then faced with and the challenges that he's being yeah. faced with so it's edited so that you are on that journey with him as you've already said um it also has this mix of American Sign Language in it. It has scenes that are captions, scenes that are not captions. Um, there are scenes that are spoken, purely signed, silence. It has this collective, um, it's you know, an, an almost universal communicative way of displaying yeah. what the film is trying to tell you, which I thought was really good. I think that, I, I you know, I, I think the whole essence of communication throughout this, whether that be someone communicating through music, communicating through sign, communicating through speech, is all interlaced fabulously in this beautifully told story that I I think at the centre of it, Riz's performance, Riz Amar's performance, he's one of the best I've seen in a long time. And I think Ruben as a character is one of the most well-crafted, designed and delivered characters in a long time. I feel believable. I got his motives. I understood his frustrations. I kind of felt for his emotions and where he was at them certain stages. I felt empathy for the guy. You know, and, and um, you know, I think he's an underdog. I think in there you really want him to succeed and to pull through and, and very relatable character. He, um, there's also this great, this is this great underlining theme as well that the film isn't actually about dealing with a disability. It's about dealing with um, addiction. And that's a really good, when there, there's a, there are three, what I think are standout kind of montage scenes. Um, all the communities sit together and have breakfast. The first time Ruben does it, he's not involved. And then as he learns and he spends time with children, because he helps out in a school and he picks up sign language. And then by the, like the third scene, he, he's there again. Leading sign language He's fantastic. But there's also, he gets, he has to learn with dealing with his deafness and he gets, he sits in a room and he writes a notebook. And I, that's brilliant. I know it's really powerful. Essentially it's just Riz sat in a room writing, mm. but that's really good writing. I believed he was writing. So that's great acting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me, Paul, uh, Paul Rossi as a uh, Joe, phenomenal next level. Um, I even checked his IMDB. I believe he's one of the actors that because he's definitely only plays like when you need a deaf person. And I was just saying, this guy's phenomenal. Mm. He's such a great mentor. I would love to see him in more things. Yeah, completely, completely agree. Um, 
directed and co-written by Darius Marder, who did... So I was looking at Riz Ahmad in this house going, God, doesn't he look like uh, Ryan Gosling in A Place Between the Pines? He, he, he did. Uh, who he's he, a writer, isn't he's he? He's the writer, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, there's a link. That kind of bleach blonde, uh, scattered tattoos. tattoos yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, instantly hooked in this movie from the moment it started. It, I was never dull, never bored, never turned it off from it. I fucking, mate, I was honestly on the brink of emotions in some scenes. I was like, this is it's so powerful. I loved it. it I think maybe my favourite film I've seen Oh, I, in ages, ages. It, it's this weird thing that it came out just before COVID, but then didn't, it got released in like a festival, but didn't come out. And then it came out on Amazon last year, but I've only just been able to watch it now. No, it's only come out in UK Amazon this that's, last week. And that's it, why. it will be getting a UK cinema release date on May 18th for the cinemas that are reopening. I uh, do you know what? I might go support this film on the big screen. I loved this film. Completely. I think, I think, do you know what? And this is really, this is going to come up a lot. The ending to me, I find the ending to films now is really starting to let me down. I'm really focusing on the ending. The ending to this was effortless. And I'm not going to spoil what happens, but what happens, it genuinely maybe kind of had a tear in my eye, but, but of understanding. Like, because the story did, so, the writers and the direction and the acting did such a good story of showing me this world that I understood the motives of um, the characters when in reality you might not. Mm. And I, I know that sounds really sketchy. I, I genuinely don't want to spoil this film. This is, I put this in the vault. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely yeah. adored this yeah. film. And I don't, I don't think you should spoil. No, no, no. You need to experience them. It's too, it's too new. This one to kind of go into it, and so we'll, we'll leave it there. One thing I did want to say with Riz's performance in this as well is he learns American Sign Language and drumming. I know he's got a musical background. I think he has released music, and you know, music. He's a multi-creative artist in in many uh, forms and styles. Um, but to learn drums, and as a as someone who plays music, I don't play drums. I play a lot of guitar and stringed instruments that. It, you know, it was believable. I, yeah. I think, I, and this is no disrespect to Olivia Cook, but obviously it, you can't really fake drums. You know, there's a yeah, beat. Yeah, you can't, yeah. There's a feel to it. There's a groove that he has to sit in. It's easy with a photographer, you know, the camera to not show Olivia Cook's Doing hand and, and that kind yeah. of thing. So he has to be believable. 100% believe he was a metal drummer, a punk metal drummer in this. I've seen the bands that he's in. I've been to those gigs and, and I'm like, yeah, that is a real guy. Like, I've seen that drummer, that... that person who's fucking locked in that groove. Yep. And there Smashing could be a hundred the people there watching or 200, whatever, but they're just locked in with the, you know, the, the other person in that band or bandmates. And they're just, you know, and it was so believable. And then the American sound language as well, that's used throughout. And it got me thinking about a quote, and I'm going to bring this into a future podcast that Chris Hemsworth has recently come out with, where he's basically said, um, if an actor loses weight, they become uh, a thespian, Oscar-nominated um, craftsman of the screen. Yeah. He puts muscle on, it's just bodybuilding. And yeah. it really stuck with me, this idea that, like you say, you know, we've known through award season history that, you know, you know, particularly, you know, there've been some male performances where someone's lost dramatic amounts of weight. Yes. Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, whatever, um, you know, Christian Bale in some performances. Yeah. That's weird this it, year. Isn't it? Always, it was Oscar season. I didn't see him like destroy his body. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it is odd that if you go one way on the scales, it's like, Oh, what a serious actor. You go the other way. It's, it's just, Muscle. Oh, you're just doing Thor three. You need to build up. Yeah, it's, it's said with disdain. Mm. Yeah, no, I get that. It's actually a good shout. But it's those Which, secondary skills that actors put themselves through. In this case, like say with Riz having to really pull this character off, it has to be believable as a drummer and to learn that sign. And he also had to bulk up as well because he's quite big in this. Yeah, he's fucking really, really good shape. Um, God, I love the guy. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. You fanboy? I do. I've always, always 
been a fan of his. Yeah, no, he's very good. Um, Yeah, let's make him James Bond. Let's do it. So, uh, just quickly, Mm. is there a God? We can't, it's already 16 minutes. Jesus Christ. 16 minutes in, we're into a war. Luckily though, the time we've spent, you talking about sound and metal, we can eat into the Bruce Willis movie that I'm going to bring up because that doesn't require a lot of talking about. Um, but this is the one I watch. This is the one I watch most because <laughs> I had to go back. That's the problem. And this is when you watch a good film and it's like, it's like biting a perfect bagel. You know, it satisfies you. You feel warm. You feel nice inside. Mm. But, but when, I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor. <laughs> I mean, the 90 episode time limit is not going to help. Um, <laughs> but when it's something bad, you have to keep going back to it. Like, like, was it as bad as I thought it was? Like, you know, we get bad pizza and you have a slice. You're like, oh, that wasn't so good. But then it's an hour later, you're still hungry. You think, I'll go back to it. I've spent more time thinking about this film than The Great Sound of Metal. Do it. Well, there's a movie called Anti-Life that's appeared on Netflix and Curiosity got the better of me. Um, it's called Breach if you're looking for it on IMDb or if you're in America but uh, anti-life over here in the UK and it stars Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis really anything post kind of uh, Sin City you've got to start getting a bit worried yes he still pulls out a shiner every now and again but um, they're few and far between nowadays aren't they with poor Bruce who's quickly becoming crowned the laziest man in Hollywood and this is no exception for phoning in a performance but the infected people with this one. <laughs> so, so Bruce Willis uh, <laughs> stars in Anti Life or Breach alongside everyone's uh, previous favourite uh, Punisher, Tom Jane. Um, who, who, who is what I mean by infected? Because Tom, Tom Jane, uh, sci-fi. So this is a sci-fi film. Last time I saw Tom Jane in sci-fi was the in the perfect TV series, The Expanse. Oh, not Predators then. No, you can't. Everyone's got a death note. <laughs> um, it was in The Expanse. So seeing him in a sci-fi film, I immediately got goosebumps. And then and he's not in the fucking film and it shows up in the end in a very disappointing way. Here we are. Yeah, it's, it's got a few other actors in it. Cody Kirsten, Rachel Nichols in it. Uh, as James said, sci-fi movie set in the not-too-distant future where um, Earth is on the brink of collapse. And <laughs> so, so sorry. Are... You don't have to answer. That's it though, isn't it? It's like, there's there's an event. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always like, what is it? No, don't get into the, it. The, <laughs> Earth is on the brink of collapse. They're about, it's about to implode. We don't know. But no, don't for, some reason, <laughs> for some reason, the last shuttle off Earth is boarding. And this is the last of... Uh, it's last of humanity. Humanity and that will go leaving, to... And they're just leaving billions to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's the last of the chosen that are going to go colonise a new world. And what do they do with the stowaways? They're going to kill them because, you know, the human race doesn't need that. Anyone. Exactly. <laughs> it will do with the 12 people it's got on board this ship. So, so there's those that have been chosen, those that have got specific skills. There's the workmen. There's the, the people that are... Uh, obviously manning the ship and as James says there there are some stowaways Sorry, um, that have jumped on board some um, some rioters some uh, <laughs> you know God knows why they want to save themselves but they yeah. do you know they, they jump on board the ship anyway so <laughs> the majority of the movie takes place in space as this uh, ship is making its voyage uh, to New Earth which they call it which is incredibly which, lazy writing is, that's actually what I've got <laughs> <laughs> and um, lo and behold and there's another stowaway <gasps> on board the ship. What? An alien life form. Obviously. Which, again, they don't really explain its origin. Mate, uh, they, don't, they don't need it's to. It's just in a vial and it breaks open. It's a black inky liquid. It's very much venom, but without the budget. Um, and it starts slowly infecting. Now, intertwining that, you have a uh, a love story about a stowaway, someone who should not be on the ship, but they're... Um, they're, they're pregnant missus. They're pregnant missus. Who's the captain's is, daughter. Who's the captain's daughter. Which means he still couldn't get a seat on his and in, ship. And intertwining all of this, all of this, you've got Bruce Willis in a, in, as, a, as a... I don't know what his job is. Well, a mechanic? A 
He's a janitor. A janitor of some right. sort. But also he's been hunted by like the second in command because the second in command, apparently there's uh, protesters on earth that are trying to get on the ship and put their secret agents on the ship because they don't believe that we should colonise a new planet. Meaning that there's people on the ship who are about to live that don't think that they should live. Mm. And he thinks he thinks Bruce Willis is one. Like Bruce Willis would give a shit about anything at the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> what a fuck. Well, this is what, mate, you did, you did a great job. This is my synopsis. Earth is mega screwed, so only 300,000 humans are selected to board a ship to get them to a new colony called New Earth. What lazy writing. Noah is selected as a janitor and has to wake up from hyperspace 200 days earlier because you've got to explain why no one else is on the ship. Mm. Not budgetary concerns. <laughs> you've just got to, you've got to make sure everyone knows why there's only 12. Um, there's something on a ship. It's never really explained. It kills some people at the end. <laughs> that is literally it. There's, there's nothing more to this movie. It, this is just... Bruce Willis needs a new kitchen, so he signed on to this. It he, is... He's so bad in it. It is. It's, <laughs> there's nothing redeemable. There's a there's a scene where they fight this... What I assume the monster kind of like morphs into eh, like lots of different things. It becomes all quite big in a corridor and then he, he delivers the line, oh shit, but it's delivered in the same line that a waiter would take your... He's like, oh yeah, yeah ma'am and cheese here. <laughs> it's just like, oh shit, oh yeah. There, yeah. There's that. And it... But what's really good is you've got the, oh, I can't remember the other gentleman's name, so I've written it down. The main character, uh, Joel Kearson, is that even close? Noah. A no, uh, Jody Kearson, called Noah, yes. He's Noah in it. And he overreacts, like his face contorts. He's like, no. <laughs> yeah, he's, trying, he's, doing, he's going above and beyond to compensate for the lack of Bruce Willis's facial yes. expressions in this movie. But, but, but just because you dialed it up to 15 and uh, Bruce dialed it down to one, doesn't necessarily it one's a bit generous. <laughs> like there, there are scenes where you can tell, you can tell there are scenes where the director's like, Bruce, just hold this flame for. We're gonna we'll we'll put the uh, the flames in post because we can't. We, we ain't got the insurance for you to hold a flamethrower. And so Bruce Willis is like, "Well, fuck am I acting?" So he's just like stood there with a gun that's pissing out of this fake fire, and he's just got no expression on his face whatsoever. Wait, spoilers. But you're not going to watch this movie, I hope. But there is a moment where he is, where he's um, knocked down to the grounds by the alien being, and there's a part of me that was like, "Stay down, Bruce. Stay down. Just sleep the rest of this movie." Um, it, I love the big. I love the big plan is to wake up with just one other person, not like the thirty hundred thousand people have gotten there to fight the alien. It's like let's just go wake up one person, and they do, and they think it's going to save the day. Yeah, it's like, you fucking idiot. It is. It's, it's terrible. It, you know. It, I I really hoped. I really thought Bruce Willis was going to turn something out because when he comes on screen, you know he's a bit of a drunk. He's he, you know he's he's a bit jaded. You think, oh, I wonder if he's got a backstory, and you realise that ah, it's just Bruce Willis. He does have a backstory, isn't it? And it's it's tried to explain why the great Bruce Willis is a janitor in this film. Like right at the end, yeah, I know. And, and, then, and then when it happens, you're like, "Let's not spoil it." That's no, the film's job. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And when it happens, you go, "Yeah, I figured it out." Yeah, <laughs> I figured it out at the nine, at it, the, the nine minute mark, let alone the ninety minute mark. The ending's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, and and do you know what? I I have always sung the praises of M Night Shyamalan, and in particular, Signs. I've always thought like I'd rather watch an, an actor, a director, sorry, and movies that you know, are crafted, they've got a vision, they stick to it, they're not influenced by big studios and stuff like that, they're not formulaic, they're not all going to be home runs, but I'd rather see triers than the same shit all the time. And Science got a lot of shit for the water ending. Yep. This, oh my God, it was like, oh my beer, I'll yeah. show you a shit way to kill an enemy. Oh, so terrible. Just everything about like the last, how long is the film? Uh, it's too long, an hour um, and a half? About an hour and a half, 
the ending, the last hour and a half is shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but the crowning shit is the last 15 minutes. Like, like so much bollocks happens, you need a calculator to keep up with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, it sounds like we're bashing Bruce Willis. But, but we are. We are. <laughs> but there are just so much. I mean, it is a low-budget sci-fi movie. It, the problem is it creates no world building. Um, it's the same corridor. They shoot up the same corridor backwards and forwards. There's three rooms. It doesn't give you the idea that this is a big, vast ship that is voyaging through space. It doesn't give you this idea that it's stowed below decks. So it is colonized humanity that are in chambers. It doesn't give you any of that. It's just like, it's just- here's Bruce Willis fucking about in another room that's half decorated with bits of foil and wire. So you get the idea that it's some kind of red dwarf ship. <laughs> I love the fact as well that he can't be wrong about anything. Like, I reckon he has like, like all the characters in it are you know, well, I was going to give him like a compliment then, but everything he does is the right thing. Mm. Like, it's like, oh, oh, but then you're just like, well, why are you a Janet? <laughs> What's that about? How did you get on this ship? Oh, it's bullshit. And do you know what? I love Tom Jane, but no, <laughs> just because you're only in the beginning and the bit at the end, you do, yeah, yeah. You do not get a pass. You do <laughs> not. There's no free pass in this movie. Because this was bad. Now, talking of stowaways, that's a great segue into the next movie, which is also on Netflix at the moment called Stowaway. And I, what I just to touch on, based on this one, it's a 2021 movie. It's a drama sci-fi thriller, James. Drama sci-fi thriller. Um, it's a it's about a three-person team that are launched into space on a two-year mission to Mars when they discover a stowaway um, who was accidentally boarded the ship during takeoff. So it's an engineer that got kind of... I think he basically, he passed out or fell asleep or he's in there and then they, they launch. Yeah. So... And what this then does is jeopardizes the whole mission uh, and everyone on board and the team have to make an impossible choice about moving forward. Now, we're not going to spoil this movie because it's fresh out. It's a good release and it's, a I thought, a very well-paced, decent thriller. Now, when I uh, started this movie, it's called Stowaway. The trailer shows you that there's a stowaway. There's a fourth character on board the ship. In the opening two or three minutes, they mention a cup, a mug, and Daniel Day Kim's character says, oh, you know, you that's 800 grams you sacrificed bringing on board yep. to, for, to, for a joke, isn't it? you know, in the movie. Straight away, uh, you know, he started to lay the groundworks that this is a calculated to the gram mission and a presence of another human jeopardizes that. I thought straight away, this film can only go one way. I, I, I thought this... Without spoiling it, I thought this guy is on here for a reason. He snuck in some and, alien and there's glue. Some, there's some, <laughs> yeah, I just watched Anti-Life. I was fucking... And, in my head, I was conceived in the first 10 minutes, there's only one way this narrative is going to go. And when it didn't, I was like, well done. Well done. It's a thriller based on maths is how I looked at it. It's it's, it's, it's a maths equation. You're, you're basically, the enemy is the uh, equal sign. It's mm. because it's, you can't create more oxygen. You can't create more, you know, space in this spaceship. You, you literally, you are, you can try to get around it. And that's what the, basically they spend the entire movie. But ultimately the, the enemy is uh, an equation. And they've, they've, it's all the facts they put into the equation they try to change, but ultimately the, the bad guy is the equals sign. Mm. And I phenomenally loved it. And I really like, so there are scenes where basically they they start talking about what they should do and no spoilers, but there's also the scenes where they bond. And I really loved them. I just, I, I like uh, Anna Kendrick is like the ultimate positive person. Like nothing will get her down. She's positive about everything. Daniel Anna Kendrick da- is Anna Kendrick. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Day Kim is phenomenal as the, as, as the equation guy who knows that the enemy is an equation. He's basically like, we have to do everything we can. You know, the Andrew Graham scene, the bit later when they're talking about the filters. And Tony Collette is phenomenal as the, uh, there's the captain who doesn't know basically, she knows what to do, but. But as a captain, can she do it? And then I've forgotten the other gentleman's name. Yeah, Shimmy Anderson's the Sh- final actor in it. And he's yeah. fantastic as as the everyday, the guy who's not an astronaut, who just happens to be a space. And the idea is that during, 
was going to say the earthquake, during the launch, he gets knocked out. So he's he's actually hurt as well. Mm. And I think that's great. And I just love the, he's like, did we take off? He's like, well, yeah, you're in space. So yes. <laughs> and I really liked the dynamic and I really liked the writing because it could have gone, it could have gone one way. It could have gone, and I don't know, no spoilers, it could have gone, it could have gone the anti-life route. Yeah, which I did, which I thought it was going to, I thought it was going to go, I, I thought I knew what I was settling in for. And when it became, you know. When they became friends, you're like, the, well, where is it going? Yeah. And then there's this battle of maths and science and, and um, you know, how, there's a scene in it where, you, what what this movie does brilliantly, Afterlife, and it, the thing about when you crit- critique a movie like this, you should never really say this is what they should have done. Because what yeah. the fuck do we know? We're a beige podcast. Well, we are listeners though. We are viewers. So maybe, yeah, maybe- but still, it's never really that. But, but Take to what, the streets. What Stowaway did really well was it, it immersed you in an environment where you genuinely believe they were up in space and they were hurtling towards Mars and they were, they were isolated. You know, there's wonderful scenes where Tony Collette is talking back to ground control, but you never really hear what ground control is saying. It doesn't give you the privilege of knowing about all those scientists in rooms back home trying to solve an equation, you know, the smartest people that the space company have all with PhDs working around the clock to figure something out. It doesn't give you, it doesn't cut to them because then it would take away the isolation and the atmosphere. That's literally the point I was about to make. Even when they do the interviews before anything goes wrong, you never, you never if you only, else. so there's a silence. And I genuinely thought I'd put it on pause. Tony Collette's got an earpiece on and she's just looking at the camera and then you hear a respond to a question that you don't know has been asked. But the only people you've ever seen is in time with those four people. I frigging loved that. I think it's also a product of COVID because obviously <laughs> some of the filming of this may have been where oh, they then could it not worked, have... It worked better. Yeah, they, they probably couldn't have had the, the bigger crew. But yeah, I, I thought I thought it was brilliant. I just want to break down some of this. Tony Collette is amazing. Yeah, she is. I think she's probably... She, I, she's probably the best. Even in films I can't stand you know, the big one. Hereditary. Hereditary. She's still phenomenal. Which I loved and I thought she was amazing in it. And oh, she's amazing It reinforces my belief that Oscars are a load of nonsense because they don't recognise horror and that well, we have easily... Success- we have successfully ignored them so far. And I'm not talking about the Oscars. <laughs> not this year. Good. Um, I, I think... I think she's brilliant. I also love it when Tony Collette slips back into the, the, the Australian accent. I'm like, fuck it, eh? She sounds brilliant. I, I really, really like her as a performer. Daniel Day Kim is wicked. I lo- I think he's very underrated. I think he's brilliant. I, I think he's really underrated. I, I think I think this is, I think he's already established, but this is certainly a gateway movie. He certainly is going to do for him what Hellboy didn't in yeah. terms of like escalating him into becoming a regular um, on, on the big screen. It's also in the remake of uh, Miami 5-0. But everyone's got a death note. Everyone's got a death note. <laughs> the fact that that's a thing now. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's brilliant. Utterly believable as well in the role that he is. Yes. Very calm, calculated. There are heated conversations with horrible ultimatums that need to be made. And he always just goes, Roger, you know, uh, reported, you know. Yeah, when you watch him from, I imagine he'd make a good serial killer. That sort of character. Yeah. He's got, I, I, when I was watching it, I was thinking, he's got so much range. But then even when, you know, you go back to Lost, he's still best at that. Oh, he's still brilliant. Um... <laughs> I don't know any of Shamir Anderson's work, but no. certainly we'll keep an eye out for him because I think coming in, it, like in, you have to connect with that character straight away. Otherwise they're a villain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Anna Kendrick, here's the thing about Anna Kendrick. And I mean, this as a positive. I've never really believed Anna Kendrick as in any performance. Like you saw she was Anna Kendrick. It's Anna Kendrick, you know, lovable, you know, bubbly, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, was she, do, do I believe her as a, as a, you know, PhD doctor up in space in this movie. No, I saw her as Anna Kendrick in a space movie. Yep. But I still love all of her performances. She's very hard to kind of get in, you know, get in the groove. Like I, if, she, if she was to play like a veteran cop, I would just be like, nah, it's Anna Kendrick as a cop, you know. 
I absolutely agree with you. I, I, when I saw, yes, no, that's brilliant. And that's not negative. It's not it's, negative. You need characters that you can basically slip into straight away. Yeah. You need that. They gel, they have cohesion. The, the movie works so much. It felt like fresh paint on something that we've seen a hundred times before. It's reinforced my opinion. Now, you're the indie guy, I'm the sci-fi guy. Mm. I love films like this. Point A to point B and how many different variations of a story you can tell. And this, I watched this after Anthony Life and thank Christ I watched, oh, yeah. I watched them this way. And if I had done it the other way, I'd have been like, I'm done with sci-fi for a while. But they, I would put this in, I think Martian's a, a great film. Mm. I thought it was all over Martian. I absolutely, I, I adore these kind of like space romp movies. Yeah. I, I've really had fun. Is it Volley? Probably not. But that's, but that's not, that's not to be ashamed of. It's a great film. It was a great, it was a great two hours, one hour, 54 minutes. I think it was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. What's next? What you got? So just quickly, um, how long do you think you'll be remembered after you die? Well, you see, James, I don't think you truly die until the memories of you fade away. Yeah, cool. That's pretty good. Let's do a film. Um, no, we'll save that one for a bit. I've done that one. Let's talk about this. Is a weird one. This will be a quick one. I, I can't remember when it came out. It was it was 2018, but I can't remember when it came out to Netflix. I spent the day watching. Well, not the day. I watched Arizona. So this is a Bloomhouse production. Directed by Jonathan Watson, starring Danny McBride, Rosemary DeWint, and Luke Wilson. Cassie is a real estate agent in 2009, the height of the real estate housing crisis. While being berated by her boss Gary, a former customer called Sonny comes in. Gary had promised Sonny that his house would double in price, but instead the mortgage crisis happened, and therefore it's too high because he got a, a, a you know an adjustable rate. So Sonny is going to lose his house. Weirdly, so is Cassie because you can't sell houses and she works on commission. Uh, Gary and Sonny fight, the, and Sonny act, kills him by mistake. So Sonny kidnaps Cassie, trying to reason with her, you know, I'm a good guy, you know, he takes her back to his house, he's like, please don't tell anyone I killed them, I, I'm only keeping you, I won't, I won't hurt you, I just want you to make sure you won't promise to tell anyone. Now, I'm going to tell you something, you won't believe it, because his ex-wife shows up and, and things happen, and Danny McBride goes to get the daughter. It's actually a dark comedy, horror and do you know what? This is a film with two halves because the first half is brilliant. Mm. It's actually quite funny. Danny McBride as <clears throat> when he... <laughs> so we already know what Sonny looks like, his character. But after he's kidnapped uh, a Cassie, he puts a hood on his face so he won't recognise her, but obviously he knows because he's the one that knocked her out and he's trying to explain like his business idea. He's a, he's a nice guy. Um, when his ex-wife used to put uh, ice in the wine, it would melt and then the wine would become watery. So his big business plan is wine cubes. He calls it Weiss. <laughs> right but that shit's very funny there's a scene later on where he's chasing the two he's chasing two characters and he's waiting for them and he's not menacing he's playing golf on his phone it, it's that sort of thing it's, it's quite relatable quite funny however the film kind of dropped the, the film's very funny at the beginning when it's played for laughs and then as it gets a bit darker the comedy continues but then about about, about the hour mark the comedy's still there but it's no longer funny it, it, it fails and Danny McBride's character does some things that no longer make him nice when it was funnier when he was the nice guy with the implied edge but now he's just not a nice guy so the film the final act of the film the third act really does fail in comparison to the story that he genuinely did set up quite well in Acts 1 and 2 it's a film of uh, two halves the first half quite enjoyable really like the characters the writing's sharp and witty there's a great performance oh I can't remember his name he's uncredited in it oh not Luke Wilson then no um, sorry it's, it's the guy who's in Come on, give me something. Give me something, James. Oh, it's only nine minutes. I've got time to think about it. Anyway, uh, Seth Rogen. 
There you go. Um, Seth Rogen's brilliant. He plays the boss that's berating Cassie and then has a fight with Danny McBride. And that seems hilarious. I just really love that because she's on the phone with the uh, mortgage people basically saying, we're going to repossess your house. You've got a fight going on in the background. It's actually quite funny. Played for laughs really well. The horror stuff, do you know what? It's not pleasant. That's the Bloomhouse thing though. The, the horror is quite, quite on. But the third act is not the film that was set up in the first two acts. So it's too much of a jump for me. I did have fun watching it. And do you know what? There's nothing wrong with the film being good. You know, we live in a world where everything's epic or brilliant or, oh, it's crap, it's the worst thing ever. Do you know what? This film was okay. It was mm. good. It was the sort of the middle of the line. I didn't have to think about it. it wasn't too scary. It was okay. I never even heard of it. I, I only saw it because it was on Netflix and I, I've gotten, I got a bit of a hole earlier this week, mate, where I just went on like Facebook videos. You know, you got two idiots going, Oh, prank war. And they throw an egg at each other. Like, oh, epic prank. You're like, no one, you just, who's going to clean it up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that really pisses me off when I see it. And always like, and you see these kids in America, it's like, oh, we're going to play hide and seek and when he gets 50 grand. And I'm starting to go, oh, these fucking mugs. And then I realize I've just spent 20 minutes watching the video. So then I wanted to watch a movie and Arizona was top of the list <laughs> because it was just there. <laughs> yeah, I, I ne- never heard of it. I mean, it, it, you, it's a hard sell when you say yeah. it's about kind of the troubles in real estate and. It's only to sell up the scenario why he's so angry. It doesn't. Re- you don't need to know like the mortgage rates or anything. Yeah, that's what worried me about this movie. <laughs> but no, um, I quite. It was alright. It was okay. Yeah. You can't. It was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll give you an eye for it. I ne- never heard of it. Arizona, but I- I'm a big Danny McBride fan. I think Danny McBride is one of the best nights to take the piss out of himself. It'll take risk. He knows what works. When you look at films like This Is the End, he 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 plays that so well because he understands. He understands comedy. I think. I think with the the Seth Rogen pack though, you know the Joe, uh, the um, James Franco, yeah, no, Jonah yeah, Hill. Yeah. I think in that group he knows his place. Yeah, but when he branches out of that group and becomes more leading man, well, he's, he, he can surprise. He's Bloomhouse, isn't he? He owns Bloomhouse or he's, started Bloomhouse. He's. I think he's a producer of it. I mean, obviously, oh, okay, he, uh, Jason Bloom owns Bloomhouse. Oh, sorry. I, I meant, but he's one of the more creative forces behind it. Because yeah. it, it wasn't he directly responsible for the Halloween, the he, recent He one. was, yeah, part of the production part of it, wasn't he? Yeah. And, and I think he was, but I think he's always had like his toes in horror because I think he certainly, you know, was in... Um, Alien Covenant, in, wasn't he? Covenant, Not, yeah. He was Covenant, wasn't But it? was also responsible for kind of the rebooting of that franchise. And yeah, I, I suppose he's um, known for comedy and, and horror, but um, I, I quite like Danny McBride. He's very unique style of comedy. Very, yes. I don't know... I don't know. Some, some. I don't think he's everyone's cup of tea. But if you like yeah. him, I think most people, you know, those that like him, sorry, love him. Yeah. So, like I say, I thought it was middle. Middle. Hit that middle. You go for it, Danny McBride. You're right. I think we're nailing it, mate. Thirty-eight minutes. Um. Will religion ever become obsolete? Why are you doing this to me, James? Because there's some big questions that need answering. People don't just for film talk. They want to know what's going on. Is you know we can we can knock out these big questions in a few minutes. Well, where do you where, where did you stand on that will religion ever come up I'll go no no no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, let's keep moving let's go to a delightful movie that I really am glad that I invested <laughs> the one hour 49 into this week I can't tell you being sarcastic or not no I did I, oh, okay. the, the, sorry I don't, I don't, no I don't, I don't know it. sorry it's the bitterness of the world has gone to me there's a another new release on Netflix uh, Love and Monsters Ooh. did you watch it I did yeah so Love and Monsters 2020 movie just come out on Netflix. I think this week in the UK, it was in the top 10, certainly in the top five. Um, it's an action-adventure comedy. Now, I love these kind of movies. I'll admit, I do have somewhat of a liking to movies like um, Percy Jackson, Lightning Thief, 
you know, um, Hunger Games, those kind of things, those kind of teen to late teen action-y, thriller-y comedies that are a bit dystopian and and whatever, um, or utopian, depending on what the style of the movie is. But I, I quite like these movies. You know, they've got special effects, quite high budget special effects, and are normally a gateway movie for some up and coming actors to to kind of you know you get the cameos in this case. Michael Rooker, a kind of a more veteran uh, character in it. But this is my wheelhouse. I, I actually have a really, it's not even a guilty pleasure. I like these kind of films. He said guiltily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, set in, it, it does this great narrative at the beginning of the movie through animation and sketches where it basically- That's really good. Yeah. It kind of brings you up to speed very quickly on the state of the world at the moment. And that was that an asteroid, a comet was coming towards Earth. Uh, the Earth did the one thing it knows how to do, blow that shit up, set a load of nukes into the sky, but that rained down uh, all the radiation and chemicals and all that nastiness that's in nuclear weapons, which caused um, insects really, and animals to mutate. I thought it was a really nice way of doing it. You know, not just a bomb hits the planet, but but I thought it was really, I, weirdly, I thought it was unique. It's the fallout. It's yeah. all the fallout of so many nuclear weapons going up into space, kind of coming back into the atmosphere has caused, you know, crab shit. crabs <laughs> to become massive and, you know, snails to grow and, mammoth sizes and, and the radiation has basically turned all these, what would normally be harmless uh, insects and animals into raging monsters. Now, seven years later, what's left of humanity is not on a spaceship with Bruce Willis. Thank Christ. Asleep. <laughs> it, they are uh, deep underground in colonies and they form these little communities underground. Now, one uh, of those colonies, and here's where we are introduced to our star, Dylan O'Brien, uh, O'Brien, O'Brien, who plays Joel. Um, He's not partnered with anyone. You know, down, he's living amongst people that it's are not coupled a of up. People in there. Yeah, he's the chef. It is this joke that you know, it's like he makes a great minestrone soup. You know, but he has a role in the colony, but he doesn't have someone in the colony. He does have someone though, and she is eighty something miles away in another colony. So he and he's also the guy that freezes up in the face of fear. He's not the action hero. He's not the go-getter, the alpha. Not yet. Not yet. Ooh. But one day he's had enough, and he, he braves it all for love. Love and monsters, and he leaves the uh, the colony, goes above, uh, goes above ground uh, on this perilous journey to go be reunited. Now, I like this movie for a lot of reasons. The effects are the right, like quality effects. For an Oscar for its effects, yeah, which, they, I, which I was like, really, there no, is, there's nothing wrong with the effects, no. but. But they're not that they're, good. They're, 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 the effects are like... Not the Irishman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, the, the monsters in it, are, you're never really supposed to be like, oh, that, you know, that's a, if, if there was a giant oh, no, toad, that, it would look like that. There's that. There's They're really freaky. They did a really good job, actually. You know, the one kind of out at the start of the third act in the forest, that freaked the shit out. Yeah, there's that like was centipedes, snails, it, yeah. toads, that kind of thing. You know, there's a troubler, mate. They, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> grotesque, horrible, big monster things. They, you know, they, they're not um, going for you know the realism, but they are going for kind of unique. Yeah, it's, it's like there's a movie years ago called Troll Hunter, yeah. which is really low budget, kind of like indie movie. But I was fucking amazed at the quality of the trolls. Like, <laughs> like I was like, if there was giant trolls, fuck, they would look like this in this movie. I thought that movie was fantastic. This is like, you know, you can tell it's CGI, but whatever, it's really enjoyable. So there's that element to it, the mystery, what's going to reveal next, you know, will it want to eat them? Will it want to befriend them? It's got this, and I've already mentioned like fallout feel that there's this kind of technology. There's these, oh, I never even thought of it like that. yeah, there's these robots that have kind of powered down over Mavis, seven years. Mate. Mavis, yeah, which has this wonderful edge to it. Um, 
yes, it's a uh, it's a it's a character building storyline about someone who's kind of evolving into who they really are. It's got those narratives, but it's set piece where it goes to fucking one eighties the storyline, and I was like, I did not think it was going to go that way, and all the better for it. Um, I do have a problem with that. Because the, the the idea that the colony grows, I don't think they do a good enough job in the first act to show you they're such nice guys, the people he lives with. They're barely mentioned. And then he makes the decision to leave. Yeah. 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 But, but I've gone into too much. But I, I, re- I really enjoyed where it went, uh, you know, in the final act of the movie. And, oh. and I thought, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to go that way. It did feel a little bit long, but I enjoyed all of it. I was well aware that it was like pushing nearly two hours. But... I did really enjoy it. The last act I thought was also really enjoyable. There's a showdown, you know, normally in these films, yes, when you've got big bad monsters, it's always the human element though that's the true villain. And when there's, there's a showdown towards the end, I thought was equally funny, entertaining and edgy you see kind of action. It's got this wonderful relationship in it with, um, with with this dog that he picks up as he's kind of, again, it has this kind of fallout, the video game feel to it where he befriends a dog that's literally just called Boy. Um, that was heartbreaking. When you first meet him and Boy carries around a dress implying that was his owner, I was fucking, I was heartbreaking. Yeah. But he's like this super educated dog that oh, knows the, how to like close doors and stuff. It was the, the dog's the, the MVP. Oh, easy. The dog would have got there in like two days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but ultimately, like I say, it's a cross-country movie full of perilous dangers along the way. I fucking loved it. I thought it was really good. I do want, I really entertain. I like the beginning and I like the middle, especially where it turns into kind of like a buddy movie with Michael Rooker. And have you got notes? Because that, uh, that girl actor, she's going places, mate. She's phenomenal. That she, girl actor. Sorry. I, uh, Ariana Greenblatt. Is, plays Minnow. Minnow. She was fantastic. The dog as well. They say, they say in Hollywood never work with, uh, with animals or children. I think they were both fantastic in this. I disagree though. I, I don't like the, the, the last act. I'd like elements of it, but I question the character's motives. I don't, I think poor writing, if the writing was a bit better, maybe showed you some things at the beginning would make more sense later on in the film. But I don't want to get too much into it because, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put it there with, with again, it was good. It was, I, good. I yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, they were They're completely yeah. different movies, but I enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed it as well. And do you know what? If I'm in the mood for nothing, I'd watch it again. I, I want to do a sequel. A sequel. Yeah. Oh, there's a sequel. Come yeah, this material, there's there's enough world building in this to have a sequel. Like it certainly does end on a, but you could have all the colonies. You could have so much fun. You could have with which it. is good because in a few years I would like to talk about more in depth about this film. <laughs> but mark it. <laughs> you bring it up later. There's a lot that I like to. You know, I like the. Um, I like as well that some monsters are already dead and actually there's these scenes where they're like looking over a town, judging whether yes. or not they should go in and there's already a dead monster, like a big spider Giant over. spider, that would scare the pants off. Yeah, me. I thought it was really, really good. I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought I, I, I would invest anyone to say, you know, on a, on a Friday or a Saturday night, if you're looking for a movie to watch, Love and Monsters, you're not going to go wrong. It's such good family entertainment. Well acted as well. Yeah. You know, well animated. It kind of felt like it's like you know, it's a, it's a coming of age kind of movie in 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 a lot of sense. But it does it it's in that ballpark of indie movies that have like a really good soundtrack. Oh, I got a very strong uh, Zombieland feel, especially yeah. with the rules and that type of thing. Yeah, so that's good. That's a good. Pull. It's Perks of Warflower meets uh, Zombieland. Yes, that's kind of like that. That's yeah. the movie. Hello, this is Lorraine, your host from Once Upon a Nightmare. Every Tuesday, I like to delve into the horrors of the world, be it fictional or real. I've had a healthy and what some will call a strange obsession with true crime and horror movies for well over 30 years now. 
So if those two topics pique your interest, then please go check out Once Upon a Nightmare podcast. It is available on multiple platforms and don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thank you. Uh, go, James, what we got next? Um, what do you contribute back to society? Fucking, here we go. This podcast. <laughs> eh? Acceptable. Thank you. I, I'll enjoy that. Beigeness. <laughs> no, mate, you can't enjoy colours without beige. <laughs> I've got an Aaron film for you. Uh-oh. So I was watching this film, and do you know what? Even from the front page on Netflix, a lot of mine came from Netflix and, and like one from Amazon. Now, this film's 2015, so it's not a new release at all. It's just the first time I've come across it. Now, it's called People, Places, Things. It's directed by James C. Strauss, and it stars Jermaine Clement, Regina Hall, and Jessica Williams. And uh, here we go. Will discovers that his long-term girlfriend, Charlie, with whom he has two daughters, is cheating on him. He discovers this at his twin daughter's five-year-old birthday party when he walks in on Charlie sleeping with a gentleman called Gary. Ooh. Gary. Skip to one year later. Um, Will is now living alone and seeing the girls at the weekends. Though he wants more time, but, uh, you know, circumstances at the moment just don't, don't mean that. He lives for the weekend. You know, makes them, it makes them kites, takes them out. Uh, Will is a graphic novelist and art instructor. One day, one of his students sets him up on a date with her mother. The date does not go well, but circumstances keep throwing them together. Factor in that Charlie's getting cold feet about her upcoming nuptials with Gary, and you've got people, places, and things. Um, there's a film that comes across, comes along in a while, that you can only describe as quirky, whimsical. Mm. It's not breaking the barrier, it's not creating new things, but it is fun to watch. Like uh, Serendipity. Knows like, its place. Knows its place. This is an indie darling film. Now, when you cast Jermaine Clement, you're going to get one of the most underrated funny men in Hollywood. Mm. Um, he came across from New Zealand uh, with the TV series. Uh, Flight of Concords. Flight of Concords, and basically stole a show. I think out of the two, he became the bigger name. Uh, I went on to like Men in Black 3 and things like that. He's from... Wait, was he in Moana? Of course he plays the crap. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Opposite the rock. Shiny. Phenomenal actor. Mm. Understands comedy. Understands that kind of, that nuanced of awkward comedy, which is very hard to do. That The moment where you sit there in silence, laughing and cringing about what's just happened. He's perfectionist at that. This film, does it break any barriers? No. Is he a brilliant character that you're drawn into? Not particularly. Is he a realistic character? Yes. He's realistic. He's got, he's got quirks. He's got things that let him down. He's believable. Regina Hall, is she fantastic? Is she next generation? Yes, is Jessica Williams going to be another big thing in Hollywood as a comedian actor? I think she started on The Daily Show. Yes. Are the two children delightful? Yes. Do you know what? We're having a good time with children actors, and I hate child <laughs> actors normally. This film doesn't break new ground. Is it fun? Yes. Is it under one hour 45? It is. It's a good, <laughs> fi- it's a good film to just sit down and relax. It's not... Did I laugh all the way through this film? No. Did I titter loudly at any points? I don't actually remember a time when I was tittering. But did I watch it with a smile on my face? Yes. Did I enjoy myself? Yes. This is the sort of film that was just on at the right time at the right place. People, places, things. Fantastic film. You should watch it. You had me. A Jermaine Clement. A Jermaine Clement, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I am a fan. I, I, I really like the movie Dinner for Schmucks. That's not... Is he in it? Yeah, he's the, he's the one who hosts the dinner party. Is he? He's no, he no. Sorry, oh, not. David Williams the is. He's the he's the one who who um, Paul Rudd suspects is trying to move in on his wife, and he's yes. like the bongo player and everything. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. It's David Williams, isn't it? Who's host the party? Something I believe he's. I, it doesn't matter. I I like David Schmucks for all the wrong reasons. Like it's a detestable kind of idea. Yeah. This idea about bringing like you know the cringeworthiest, pathetic 
guest to a party. Like, um, but there's something about Steve Grove's performance about how he makes like model villages out of taxidermy, like mice and mice, stuff. Yeah. I fucking just thought it was funny as so, hell. Like, Steve Carell is one of the actors that I think when he hits it, and this is an, this is an episode I want to do soon as well. Um, actors, Hot comedic actors, yeah, turned. turn drama, you know, because yeah. you think of like Steve Carell and like Foxcatcher and stuff like that, which is a brilliant. Yeah, when performance. John Candy did, uh, I was going to make a joke. <laughs> Godzilla. No, I was just, yeah. Fuck it, it's really funny when you can't remember the punchline to your own fucking joke. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, that's what it's going to go for. Jesus Christ. Fucking hell. Do you want to take a lay down? Do you want me to do the, the other 30 minutes of this podcast? Is that all? I'm running out of films. We've got about 40 minutes left, yeah? Maybe we should start answering these questions. Um, don't worry, I'll slow us down in a moment with an absolute corker of a film that I'm about to drop on the table. Um, People, places, things. Would you watch it? I yeah, I would. I've hovered over it a few times. It's, it, do you know what? It's really good. The art style and it's really nice to work because he plays in a uh, plays a graphic artist, and you mm. see his artwork reflecting what's going on in his life. And they're actually, it's not they're not hidden messages. They're, it's pretty obvious. But do you know what? It, it's nice. You know, the guy feels lonely, and it, I know it sounds really stupid, but he's lonely in a way that. I sometimes feel lonely. Is a way that kind of like, as an audience member, you go, oh, that's more realistic. It's not someone going, I'm so lonely crying in the rain. It's like him drawing a picture with his, you know, with his two girls, but he says, leave me alone. It's just that sort of thing. It's, it's realistic. And I, mm. I really like the realism. And then Jermaine Clements gives the the role a certain awkwardness, which is perfect. Uh, at the final scene, uh, one of the final scenes, and he confronts Gary after a year later, it's, just, it's, it's, it's realistic. They have a bit of a fight and a tumble, but it's a realistic fight. I don't punch each other. They kind of just like grab each other. It's, it, but it's, it's a really well-written film. Is it going to win awards? No. Well, obviously, because it's five years, six years later, and it didn't. Um, but it, it, I enjoyed myself. I think you'd enjoy yourself. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give that one a watch. And it's that that New Zealand exported yes. comedy. Which you know, is brilliant. Taika Waititi's kind of like at the, at the helm of, and I know he was obviously involved in, Flat of the Concords um, as well, but and yeah, Reece, yeah, Reese Darby, I think it's also nails. It also is uh, Flat of the Concords background. Um, yeah, it's a very distinguishable modern style of comedy that is kind of post emo. You know, where you, like you said, normally it would be someone like crying in the rain or yeah. like <laughs> dep- overly depressive. Now it's like listening know, to like Papa Roach. <laughs> yeah, that would that's what it was. Now it's like listening to the Smiths. Yeah, whilst like you say, being an artist and you know, like kicking a wall and hurting their foot, you know, and it's all that kind of like awkward comedy style to it. And I, I, I really like it. I, I'll watch that. Good. I'll tell you a film that you should watch just to believe that it exists. Okay. Now, Nicolas Cage is one of the busiest men in Hollywood. Yeah. Because he, he says, won't say no to anything. He says yes to everything. That's why he's in uh, Pride and Prejudice one week and stop or my mum will blow up this bus in an Al-Qaeda type fashion. Yes. But weirdly, he would do both those films. He will do both those films. He's also got, you know, the Joe Exotic series that's coming up for Netflix. He's so obviously Willis, genuinely looking forward to that. Willie's Wonderland has come out. You know, there's, he's got the movie Pig, where he's going to be working with a pig Yep. Um, as a truffle hunter. It doesn't matter. You've, you've, you had me at the word pig. In this busy world that is Nick Cage's, and we just take up oxygen, James. Yep. He did this little movie called uh, Jiu-Jitsu. Is this the martial arts film? Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Where did you get that from? The, the title? No, because I, <laughs> I remember seeing a trailer for it. Yeah, it is about uh, jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what IMDb say about it, because there's no real way to sum up this movie other than reading directly what they put. Every 
there's a lot to digest here. Okay. Every six years, yeah. an ancient order of jujitsu fighters join forces to battle a vicious race of alien invaders. But when a celebrated war hero goes down in defeat, the fate of the planet and mankind hangs in the balance. There's a lot to dissect in this film, James. Yeah. There's an alien. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. Cosmic portal. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Nick Cage. You talking about the Mortal Kombat remake? <sighs> Mate. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cage is in the opening scene, right? And I fear that they got Nick Cage in because A, you'd say yes, and B, it would help sell the movie because nothing else is going to help sell this movie. <laughs> Other than people like me that are like, fucking Nick Cage is wild, mate. He'll do well. He's in a movie called Jiu-Jitsu with an alien. I've got to watch it. And I fell straight for it. He's in one scene and then he comes back like oh, an hour hate. later. That's what they with Godzilla when it implied it was going to be Godzilla versus Walter White. And then it doesn't happen. You're like, you you fucking dick. There's a lot of that in there. So so Nick Cage is, and, and you know, obviously Nick Cage didn't fly, you know, out to any kind of exotic location to film. You know, I think it's all, his scenes were probably done in a day. But regardless of that, it is all over the place, this movie. It, it It's, on the one hand, it is a celebration of jujitsu. There are long drawn out fight sequences that really show the martial arts style and, you know, the, the effort, the kind of physical demand of these warriors, these martial artists, you know, and it is a celebration of that. And I know nothing about jujitsu. So that I, unlike inside the metal where I'm like, I believe that guy was a musician. I believe that he put in the time. <laughs> I, these guys could just be dancers. I don't know, but they all, they look like they knew what they were doing. The film starts with these, uh, with a guy running through the forest uh, jungle, being chased by basically the predator, something that has got this camouflage and is throwing, you know, like martial arts kind of throwing daggers, stars, whatever they're called, ninja stars. I know shrieking. Oh, I, I don't, don't know. know. It's spinny things. Spinny things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know. Batarangs, but not bats. Yeah, yeah, they're them. And um, that might be the dumbest way to describe anything in the world. I mean, I think I got there with, with throwing stars, but you know, batarangs, but without bats, just circles, circles, circle batarangs. Today, aren't you? <laughs> You're on a peak. Um, Don't be a dick. <laughs> he he gets injured, falls into some water. Nearly a full day passes, <laughs> and Nicholas Cage. But his fingers were wrinkly. <laughs> he pruned. <laughs> Nicholas Cage finds him in the river. Straight away, I was like, how? Like, Nicholas Cage is literally on a boat with a torch and finds him that in was the lucky, river. Wasn't it? Anyway, then it cuts forward. He's got amnesia. Can't remember why or who he was fighting. He just knows that he's this killing machine. He's got these immense martial arts skills. This, like, shadow unit come and rescue him out of this military compound. And, you know, they have to fight their way out. It's very street fiery, very Mortal combat -y. And then there's this, like, 15-minute you know, love letter to jujitsu fight scene that has, yeah. it, it literally like has every, you know, like first time director's wet dream. It's like, I'm going to do POV. I'm going to do this kind of shot. I'm going to do a shot where like, I'm going to attach the camera to your foot. And it has all this kind of stuff that is just, it just becomes really cringy. You know, like the last 10 minutes of doom yes. where it goes first person. Yeah. There's a, there's a fight scene in this where like the camera kind of goes into one and then the fists appear in front of oh, you. Like, like, that oh, sounds no, what's, amazing. What's going on? Why aren't more people doing that? And there's all these fight scenes and like, you know, people kind of, you know, it feels very much like a, well, well, an over the top choreograph. Kind of thing. It's amazing how many, situations a bunch of jujitsu martial artists <laughs> get into situations where they have to fight their way out so quickly it's like walking down a road oh no enemy unit fight your way out you know buying milk it all, oh no it all gets to the point where you introduce uh, so rick yun's in it as well who you know you look at things like um 
Oh, what was the Gerald Butler White House? I know who you mean. This has fallen. Yeah. He also plays the guy with diamonds in his face in the Tomorrow Never Dies, the Bond film. Yeah, so he's he's a suave. I sort of believe he's in the first Fast and Furious as well. He's a suave villain, you know. He's a he comes into it and he does the whole, you know, like I'm going to take on the alien in this shit fight, and they reveal the alien, and you're like, this is just such a letdown. He's such a, you know, he's just like a guy in a white suit. Not not a lot more to it. The, it just. And then Nick Cage comes back and you're like, oh, fuck, I forgot he was in it. Well, I was just about to turn it off. I'll see what happens. You know, it does all these scenes where like, it's quite funny actually. Like, headshot of Nick Cage delivering a line. Yeah. Wide shot of someone clearly not Nick Cage doing backflips. Yep. Headshot again of Nick Cage delivering <laughs> delivering something that is equally as, you know, he's like, is a door a door unless someone opens the door? Cuts away, cartwheel, backflip, judicu kick, all this kind of shit. Comes back to him mumbling some shit. It's just all over the place, all over the place, to the point where they, like, say, go to this temple. They have to form this group <laughs> to fight this. Fucking hell, it's the fucking fast forwarded then, didn't it? Mate, I, do you know what? <laughs> I really try falling asleep in it. I couldn't, I didn't have the art to turn it off, but I compromised going, well, if I fall asleep, it's acceptable. I didn't really turn it off. Oh, I've tried, mate. I tried to ignore this movie, but I ended up watching the whole thing. It's um, an hour 42, and God almighty, it feels like an hour 42. Where did you watch this? It's on Netflix. Is it? It's hard not to watch it because it's Nick Cage and it's called Jiu-Jitsu and it's got an alien that fucking fights Jiu-Jitsu. But where they sell it like, oh, he comes every six years, you know, and he's like this. If if the top Jiu-Jitsu people don't defeat him, he will destroy the earth. Well, that makes it sound like he's been defeated every time then. So he can't so be that can't fucking be that good. Yeah, because yeah, earth's never been destroyed, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it don't really, it don't fulfill any itch that you need scratching. What, um, do they have fun with the storyline? Like, do they say, oh, Bruce Lee tackled him a few years ago? No. No, no so no. it's just bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but would you ever watch it again? No, <laughs> no. It's not even like those Nick Cage movies where you can do that, you know, like knowing, where you're like... Yeah, just watch it. I'll watch fun. it again just because I need to remember if it was that bad or if the ending was that ridiculous. And then when you're watching, you're like, well, I knew what I was getting myself into. Um... No, there's not a lot really for Jiu-Jitsu to kind of redeem it or make it worthwhile kind of revisiting. I think the die-hard Nick Cage fans will probably have a bit of fun with it, but it's hard because the lowest, I suppose sometimes the the lowest compliment you can give a movie is, oh, well, it would be fun with a pizza and a few beers with your mates. Yeah. The, this wouldn't, you know, you'd have that one person, you'd just be waiting for that one person in the group to go, this is a bit shit, should we turn this off? I've got to go up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, six, it's six o'clock. I still... Yeah, I've got a long day tomorrow. <laughs> long day. Yeah, I've got, got a big drive in the morning. Yeah. Uh, so that's jujitsu. Do you think absolute power corrupts? <laughs> Don't worry about Moxie. Yeah. Moxie. Directed by Amy Poehler. I always say that name incorrectly. You know, uh, probably the funniest person in the world. <laughs> yes. Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. Uh, you know, Parks and Recreation is literally yeah. probably the the most, uh, would, probably top five funniest people in the world. Best host of the Oscars that they didn't get to host the Oscars. Yeah, just everything. Everything she touches usually turns out to gold. Well, does Moxie, let's find out. Starring Hadley Robinson, Laura Tassai, and Patrick Schwarzenegger. That's oh, right. dude, yeah. The yeah. son. Rockport High School is apparently the average high school. Oh, sorry, the American high school. The male sports stars have all the social power, and every year they release a list that objectifies all the female students. Most, most bang and all best ass, that type of thing. They send it out to the students. It's like a regular event. Um, character Vivian wants to uh, 
wants to go up on the list. She wants to see what she is. In that sort of level of douche. Um, Lucy is a new person to the school and immediately comes to blows with the school's quarterback, Mitchell, played by the Terminator son. <laughs> uh, when she asks why they are reading The Great Gatsby, a story about a white man who can't get a woman and becomes obsessed with it. This escalates to bullying, such as Mitchell openly bullying Lucy and spitting in a drink. Proper yeah. dick back. This is all witnessed by Vivian, a timid 16-year-old who lives with a single mother. One night at home, Vivian discovers a few of her mother's things from high school. Uh, turns out her mother was a feminist. Uh, this discovery, coupled with events that she's witnessed, inspire Vivian to create the Moxie magazine and distribute it throughout the school. Moxie calls out the hypocrisy of the school and promotes sisterhood with all the female students. Solidarity. Uh, solidarity. Like uh, Moxie in its first one uh, states that, all the female students should, uh, actually it says all the students should uh, put on hearts and stars, draw them on their hand to show solidarity. Uh, after unfair, uh, a lady is wearing a vest top and exposes more of herself, but but they, she's wearing the same clothes as other people in the school, but the hypocrisy is that she'll turn guys on and that's not fair to the men. So she gets told to wear, told to dress differently. Um, Moxie begins to change lives for the students and new friendship forms. But not everything goes as smoothly as the status quo is smashed. Mm. Um, fun little film. Uh, the, when I'm watching it as a middle-aged man, it's hard to think... You're not that middle-aged, are you? I, I'm proper in the middle-aged, mate. Mate, yeah. middle-aged, bold in. I like my cup of teas mild, not hot now. <laughs> you know, dash of milk. I've, I've, I've experimented with blends of tea now. I'm at the age now where... Like where, where, where normal tea's not for me. No, I'm all about um, every, everyday tea. Twinings. Yeah. Uh, good, good, good brand. I'm also experimenting with a strong old breakfast tea as well. That's quite nice. Oh, it's different, yeah. 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 So Hard I'm water bag. Well, I'm off the caffeine at the minute, mate. Just oh. just trying. I know I know tea has the same levels as caffeine and oxygen. It's just something about a tea. I don't mm. drink coffee or work. I just think uh, that doesn't put me in the right place. Mm. So I've gone tea and water. And occasionally I drink a gallon of Pepsi Max. But, you know. <laughs> no sugar habit. in it. It's part of me, but no yeah. sugar. But, um, no, but teas, mate. I'm really into my tea. So if anyone out there knows any blends that I should try out, let me know. You like a green tea? Yeah. I, but my problem with tea, with green tea, is I don't, I like to have it once every other day. Mm. It's a nice uh, cleanser, isn't it? Don't, yeah, don't, don't spoil the palate. Don't spoil it too no. much. Yeah. yeah. We all do like that. Not a lot, really. Yeah. I'm have a cup of tea now. Yeah, so you see what I'm talking about. See, I find when I'm thirsty for a tea, only a tea. Well, mate, we've only got 90 minutes. <laughs> Fucking hell. Right. Um, Moxie, fun little game. A fun little fun film. Little game. Fun little film. It's hard for me to... My my problem with this is, if this film had been made 20 years ago, I'd understand it, but surely now those sort of things don't happen in American high schools now. How would you know you're middle-aged? Well, that's true. I guess that's my point. But what I'm, there's a character in it. There's a female um, headmaster. She ignores everything. I just think that now is unrealistic. Well, this is the problem is I believe in humanity. So I think that wouldn't stand now. But the third act, takes such a tonal shift, massive U-turn, you could see it from space. It, it goes, it, it's like dealing with, dealing with things that I imagine are not nice, mm. negative, to like a, a felony. And you're like, Jesus Christ. It's like, when that happens, you're like, well, fuck me. I could not see this coming. Like, none of the writing prepares you for this. But then that's dealt with, with like a Hollywood kind of one line layer, you know, the, mm. the headmaster does the right thing. When throughout the film, she's been like denying people when they come to complain her. But because she pulls, you know, this misogynist aside and has a word with them. Oh, the felony's fine now. Everyone's friends. It, it's not a good ending to the film. 
which is fine. I, again, it did a good job of getting me invested in a in a sixteen year old girl, which is not normally something that I'm looking forward to. What drew me in, Amy Poehler? I'll be honest, she's the sort of name that I'm interested to see what she does. She's a fascinating uh, actress. She's brilliant at pretty much everything she does. So when I saw that she was directing and she was in it, she plays the mother, Vivian. Uh, yeah, a, a perfectly good film with an ending. I don't. They're going for something. They're going for a message that's important. However, you don't prepare for it, it happens. And then it's just dropped in like the end sequence when they're all kind of dancing at prom and you just think, well, fuck me, that, 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 right? Okay, we're moving on from that then. Two two things from that, from from this episode. Is this the third film you've talked about where it's dropped the ball in the last act? Yeah, that's what I said at the beginning. I did say I've got a problem with endings and then this, this one was the biggest one. And also, is it a cliche now to end a teen movie in a prom, at a prom? Well, that's what, don't they always usually end at prom? You see, this ends at prom just whilst the um, the credits are rolling. The prom never actually comes into effect. They're not like trying to get dates for prom or anything like that. It's, it's about dealing with hypocrisy of school, which is good, which is great, mm. which is good. I imagine if I was a 16-year-old girl now and seeing this film, it might empower me a little. I'm not. It does make Are you, you not? Are you sure? You can double check. <laughs> Why don't I identify? Mm. does make you question stuff. He's like, you go, well, did I take it too far in secondary school? And then you turn out, no, because I'm not knobhead. <laughs> so I didn't do that. Not <laughs> <laughs> but the film is, uh, the film's, yeah, it's it's good. I, the third act could have been done without, and you're right. I did say at the beginning, though, I've got a problem with a lot of third acts this this, this week. Mm. Um, but this this one is a tonal shift, the likes of which, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. And they they're uncomfortable with the question being maybe it's supposed to make you uncomfortable but what really makes it uncomfortable is how at the end everything's fine mm. <laughs> it's just like oh we've ignored over this thing it's done everyone's friends now yay and the the, the headmaster the headmistress what a douchebag and and how she gets the happy ending of finally dealing with the uh, the problem when she when what a twat <laughs> just what an arsehole throughout the entire film yeah fuck you fuck you headmistress I imagine the headmistress, headmaster, in as a role, is quite a fun one to play because you're going to go down two lanes, aren't you? You're going to go down the disciplinarian, you know, the rule book, you know, James Tolkien kind of role, or you're going to go down the I'm fun, I'm hip, I know yeah. the kids, but they laugh at you, not with you. Which is weird because do you remember growing up, one of the most terrifying characters of all time, BBC One show, Demon Headmaster, Demon fucking Headmaster, mate. I, I read the books, and then that guy. Scares the piss. When I, I know, I think the guy might have been dead, but when I, I saw he was on TV like five years ago, and it mate I was like, "Fuck me, get him off the screen." Yeah, what a dick. He was terrifying. He was, he was. Uh, I, had, I had a physics teacher who looked just like. Oh, him. that would scare me. I'd be. I did you do physics? I hate physics. I hate it. <laughs> to this day. I didn't like. You know, I, I always, I always accredited to that. You know, the thing. Certain teachers put me off certain subjects, and uh, I hate physics. Couldn't stand it. It's because he looked like the demon headmaster. If but then again, there's a rich you know, history of, of UK TV shows growing up that, you know, like Renford Rejects. Yeah. You know, in uh, Queen's Nose. And those kind of things. I always like go back to that. I just, I've just stood like in the most random places or at work and I'm like, remember the Queen's Nose? What a fucking TV show. Wish I had a 50p. I always remember, is it Williams Wish Wellingtons? When he wore yeah, Wellingtons, he could, he could wish. Or there was uh, t- the guy, the kid who could control time with his watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I remember thinking he used to like do it to, not cheat on tests. He'd do it so he got more time on tests. And he was like, oh, I'm not cheating. But you were cheating because mm. you've used yourself to get a strong. Yeah, no one else got that and then, And then I remember one episode, this really pissed me off. He went and changed his friend's answer. He was like, fuck you, whoever you are. <laughs> Bernard's watch. Bernard's watch. Bernard's watch. That was a fucking show, yeah. God, I remember that. And also, my memory as well is like, 
there was a there was a whole plethora of TV shows around Victorian kids or like you know or kids from like the forties or fifties going to their grandparents' houses that lived in these big manors and like big farm, uh, big like countryside houses, and either had a secret garden, yep. a wardrobe that they could go through, went yep. to another world, or they found a sand creature that could grant them wishes. There was all these like. It was the same formula. It was just the end result was just slightly tweaked. It was always like, you know, like traditional English children going away and some magical shit happening. And then I just remember going to my nan's bed shit and being like, just fucking watching Aliens. <laughs> way, um, way different. Weird, the better experience though. Because if you, I was, I was, this is what amazes me. We'll talk about the Queen's Lives. They always make a wish and then something would happen. Now I remember the dad didn't sign on for a series. So one of the wishes made him disappear. And I'm sure they spent like an entire series looking for him. Yeah, it was in the snow globe. It was in a, it was in a, it was in a snow globe. In a snow globe. I swear to God, I'm not making and that then, up. And then he signed his contract and he come up for the last series. But I always remember that. That was more innocent. And then I remember in America, like at the same time, they're watching like Indian in a cupboard where a kid like puts an Indian, like toys in a cupboard and they come alive. And I remember thinking, the Queen's Nose is more realistic. Kid, <laughs> <laughs> what was that show called? Uh, no, it was it was a film called uh, Indian in the Cupboard. He put an Indian in the cupboard. He put a toy Indian in the cupboard. Because at one time, he puts uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex and a Darth yeah. Vader in there, and they fight when he reopens. I just remember thinking he was a teenager. He should have put a blow-up doll in there. <laughs> that's what he should have done. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. God, that's so... That's, it's like when you talked about Inner Space last week, and it was a movie I forgot I knew. <laughs> fucking love Inner Space. I, I forgot I knew about that as well. Indian in the Cupboard. What a fucking weird concept. <laughs> <laughs> but, weird but I just remember kids and this is an episode we should do at one point like just the different things you had as a kid it was mm. just brilliant like I don't we're talking about now how the hell is the Demon Headmaster not been remastered into a Moimini Pound with like Anthony Hopkins as the Demon Headmaster staring into your soul that's it Christoph Waltz mate well exactly you have so much mate I'm just saying it now they should remake it's turned into a multi-million pound film. He's scared the piss out of kids. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, I, I don't know in, in other countries, but it's like the R.L. Stein, the Goosebumps stuff never really took off, did it? Or, is, or, we, or were we too old it for that? It was a TV set. I had all, I, at one point, I had all the Goosebumps I had the books. books. Yeah. I, did, I can't remember him being adapted. I remember maybe one of them, Terror on there was a TV, Terror. Sorry. There was a TV series. There was a TV oh, series there? that did a load. Because they always picked like the really crap ones. Like I was... Oh, hold on. There's the Jack Black movie, wasn't there? And so, I was going to yeah, say yeah. in recent years, it's been the Jack Black music, but they didn't go after a single storyline. They went through kind of all a of collective. them. A collective. He played R.L. Stein or something. Oh, is that what it was? Did I, he? I think. He I remember... I can't remember which ones. The problem with the books is I can't remember which ones they were, but there was especially ones with the puppets coming to life. They, the Night of the Living Puppets, they were quite scary. So it's, they got really weird towards the end. That would be fun. If you should Google the... Uh, the the no uh, the friggin names of the uh, goosebumps books because I read pretty much all of them and they were some fucking I'm say sure cheese was, and die mate that was a that's good one. the one I was thinking I was like I'm sure there's one about cheese <laughs> I fucking knew it yeah yeah um, the dummy was slappy wasn't it oh, slappy because I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure uh, slappy got a, like a friend or a brother in the later ones because he was in about four of them I'm sure he turned out to be the good guy in one of them all oh, right. I didn't, I didn't go that far into it. I, I, uh, I went into like... There was like 100, weren't there? I, I think I, I got the majority because they're all different colours and if you lined them up... Yeah. Yeah, yeah what's that? Uh, Piano uh, lessons can be murder, mate. I remember that one. Mate. Welcome to the Dead House. That was the first. Okay, you're you're now impressing me with your knowledge. Yeah, I, I, I was an avid reader of them. I think they were, get, they were a gateway into books. But then what was the American version of that? There was like a campfire stories or something. Like those kids that always stood around... They're always a bit crap. Mm. Eh, I'd hate to be. A, I'd hate to be a kid now, watching films, watching TV, growing up because it doesn't seem as fun. It's always like, oh, I'm going to slime you. Which back in our day, you had moral questions. You had like, you had like, 
like she couldn't be hypnotized by the demon headmaster. So she was put in like a remedial class. So the demon headmaster was fucking with her education. And his plan was to get onto the, right, I fucking remember this. His plan was to get, uh, get his quiz team. No, she she could be, she could be hypnotized. It's the, because she was adopted. It was her brothers that couldn't. Mm. That's why they were in a remedial class. Because he wants to win a quiz because then the headmaster gets to go on TV and he's going to hypnotize the whole world. That was it. That yeah. was fucking diabolical. And then there was a sequel. Uh, the first one was where it was at. Are you afraid of the dark? Was that what you were referencing? Are you afraid of that? They were always like a poor man's goosebumps. <laughs> Nickelodeon man's... era, mate. They were they were classics. The fuck are we talking about? That's one more TV show though. Uh, do, you, do you ever remember Reboot? No. Reboot was like uh, like now it's dated, but at the time it was like computer graphics, blue people, like the i four sixty five song, and it was all like digital. I, for years, I was like, what the fuck? I used to race them from school to watch. And it was an animated TV show, 20 minute episodes. And it was like these robots. And there was these like, this really cool dude that like skateboarded or surfboarded or hoverboarded or whatever. And he was blue and he had like cool hairstyle. It was called Reboot. And someone fucking was like, you, you know, you know you're in your 30s if you used to watch Reboot. And I was like, Christ, yes, I'm in my 30s. I remember oh, I never saw Reboot. I, was, I had a fever dream. And apparently I didn't dream these and I always thought they existed. My parents didn't, really, didn't allow me to watch, um, there were ones where they were different colours and they used to fight. Power Rangers. Power Rangers. Yeah. So I never really watched that because that kid was doing moves and a sister and unfortunately he said my parents like, I was fine to watch wrestling. Mm. <laughs> or, you know, 8mm. <laughs> they were fine but not Power Rangers. <laughs> but I remember there was a Power Rangers knockoff, like the equivalent of going to, you know, a car boot sale and having the Chinese knockoff called VR Rangers. And I, and I could not, and it's just like Pokemon and never going to Pokemon, but Digimon was a thing. And I remember trying to explain that to someone at work and that never happened. You, you've, you've hallucinated that. I was like, Digimon happened. Cause I remember the weirdos used to like it at secondary school. Not the popular kids, they were doing Pokemon. Fucking, that was a thing. Don't tell me it wasn't a thing. I'd take word for it. <laughs> Such a dick. I'd take word for it. I, don't, I can't remember. Digimon. Yeah, 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 I remember Digimon. I, just, I, don't, I don't understand I don't, it. No, I don't, I don't it, understand Pokemon. I don't know. VR Rangers was a thing. With, with Power Rangers, I remember even being a kid watching that. And, you know, like, because it was so over the top and you were waiting for the moment where they mate, morphed. Mate, but it was, do, you remember, do you remember it was like the black one was the black Power Ranger? It was yeah. like, it was like, fucking hell's all done, you massive racist. Have you seen the Kid and Peel skit with yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember watching it and it's like when, when like the villains like would come into the scene and they'd all like somersault and cartwheel. And I remember as a kid watching that being like, fucking, that's so much energy. It's so exhausting. That's isn't so it? exhausting to watch. They're just like jumping in out of nowhere. And why do they say hello by like pumping their fist? And also if you are the red power ranger, when you're not a power ranger, why must you wear red all the time? It's not as if someone's, someone's going to notice you fucking idiot. So yeah. Hiding in plain sight, James. Also, the bullies, how come they don't age and they're in every series? They go around like, I don't know, the B-Box and Steady from that. You know, the, They're not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, but you know, those, those yeah. the two like, henchmen, but they yeah. were never, they were the bullies. And then I think they were the good guys. And I think one of them turned out to be the Rainbow Ranger at one point. Rainbow Ranger. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I didn't watch it, mate. The Green Ranger, mate. The, the, this is how odd it got. The Green Ranger had a dagger that was a flute that he could sing yes. through, but he had a helmet on. And he was evil because uh, because they lit a candle in space. And then he had to be the white candle, the, the white ranger. And he was a dragon. That happened. Did it happen? I don't Th- know. Didn't happen. Because I remember thinking when Tommy, the Green Ranger, came into it, because I watched them afterwards, um, he became the leader of the White Ranger. When fucking Jason, the Red Ranger, he was the leader because he had a Tyrannosaurus Rex and they were cool. 
was Kim the Pink Ranger. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because they have a love interest, and I'm not happy about this, because in, in, in Power Rangers Turbo, they, 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 they get kidnapped, and the new Power Rangers have to go rescue them. <laughs> I didn't watch it, honest. I, didn't, I, didn't, I never, never even seen it. What's the Power Ranger? Didn't see it, mate. Didn't see it. But in second series, right? Really no, this is the second film. Oh, sorry, this sorry. is after Secret <laughs> of the <laughs> Universe. God, I sound like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just embarrassed myself, James. I'm sorry. Oh, I watched another film this week. <laughs> I, I watched a movie that... Uh, it's been a long time coming on this podcast and no doubt at some point we will talk about it in a lot more detail because it's been a uh, an absolute fucking monumental movie in my life. I've, it's probably the movie I've watched more than any other film and I've signed off every single podcast that we've done quoting this movie and that is I watched The Truman Show. I revisited... You mean when I told you that's how I was going to sign off the show and you stole it from me in episode one? Yeah, I remember Pretty that. Pretty much, yeah. But yeah. I love The Truman Show more than you do, James. That's true. You've always been a big proponent of it. It's uh, Jim Carrey in just absolute... Perfect form um, in a movie directed by Peter Weir. It also stars Ed Harrison, Laura Linney. Love Laura Linney. Oh, just, she's brilliant. She is brilliant. Um, it's, it's about an insurance salesman who slowly starts to recover that his whole life is an act and he's actually the star of a reality TV show. Um, I remember watching this movie. In fact, I remember the fucking... We, we, we're building this up there. In May, we're going to talk about favourite movie posters... This had two movie posters that I knew who Ace Ventura, I, Ace Ventura, I knew who Jim Carrey yeah, was Jim growing Curry up was, because yeah. of Ace Ventura. Like probably one of the first actors like that I began to kind of realize a, a, a very young, you know, in multiple roles and, you know, Jim Carrey because of that age in the nineties, you know, with Ace Ventura movies and that and Batman Forever and whatever else it was in. Um, there were two movie posters and that was the one where him sleeping and basically like a Times Square-ish like yes. shot with a load of people watching. He's on a giant screen in like Times Square yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. And there's another one where it's Jim Carrey's face made up of hundreds of pictures of that's, Jim Carrey. That's brilliant. And I remember thinking, what what is this movie? And, you know, and then I got it on uh, on video when it came out and I watched it just about every single night for like two years when I was at, uni- when I was at college. Uh, it was like a comfort movie. And in fact, actually, it was kind of self-reflecting that in the film, a lot of people like, you know, with Big Brother and those kind of TV shows, watch him for comfort. They feel like they know him and, you know, there's whole scenes where, like, there's audiences watching and they fell asleep. It's like a comfort. You know Truman. He's everyone's friends. I think they do that perfectly in this. You know, you've got the montages of people watching him. Yeah, they are globally. Done, they are done expertly. Like, there is a scene where Freddie's totally sleeping and someone's sleeping in their chair. Mm. Yeah, no way. Oh, the two, the two guys that work in a car park. Yeah. I really love those bits. Or oh, the bit of the bar. And what I love about that is time doesn't seem to pass for them because they're mm. always there watching it, whereas it's been a several days for Truman. <laughs> so <laughs> But it, it's it's a film that I just love. I love that that evolution of a character awakening as they're starting to discover things aren't right. And and it, and it and when he starts to discover that, it becomes glaringly obvious. You know, there are subtle things at the beginning, like product placement, Laura Linney coming in and talking about a law, new lawnmower she's bought or the way, you know, the fact that she's opening a tin of beans really easily because of this new concoction that she's using and it's all product placement and advertising. And he's like, who are you talking to? Like, yeah. and those subtle things you've got. And then I love the fact that they bring that up later and then it becomes even more obvious. Yeah. And I'd really like that because you, this is a great film that when you rewatch it a second time, because you of information you've found more. out, you see loads more. Yeah. And Noah Emmerich's character in it, Marlon, his best friend, there's a wicked scene where he's loaded, he's, he's stocking a vending machine and then uh, Truman's not looking and he takes them back out subtly and starts putting them back in again. 
Um, you know, because he doesn't really actually know what yeah. he's doing. He's an actor. And there's whole scenes where like, he's trying to talk to him and he's like, he's like, God, Truman, why would you want to go traveling? You've got it good. You've got a desk job. And like, it's just, the writing is brilliant. You know, he's like, I wish I had a desk job. <laughs> it's just, and you, when you see all these flashbacks as well of like him as a young kid, bless him, dreams and aspirations of being a traveler and the, and the teacher's like, but everything's been discovered. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then they embed this fear of waters, keeping captivated. They build That's this cool. world that like, you know, he's a he's captive, and it all of a sudden, you know, on the one hand, it's entertaining, it's comedic, but it's also a horror story. It's you know, it's everyone's worst nightmare of you know basically finding out that he has no freedom and no privacy, no privacy, and that his yes, life sir. is dictated by actors. And he's grown up in the, in a specific habitat, like uh, animals in a, in a zoo, that type of thing. That there is no freedom because none of his choices are his. Yeah, because I really like the the bits where he starts breaking down the world are some of the best visual and uh, script writing that you've seen like uh, he kidnaps his wife and he's like right let's go to the airport and go somewhere it's like alright we'll go for it and then all the streets are busy so he then goes around the roundabout twice and he's like oh look same road no traffic brilliant like that mm. and then when he's in he's looking in his back mirror he goes first of all there a guy with flowers bicycle oh, yeah. and there's all of this sort of stuff is brilliant um, I really you fall in love with the character of Truman as well there's a character I think it's Natasha Iron home. She she was a an extra. She didn't. She wasn't supposed to have a pe- speaking part, but because um, Truman like fell in love with her, you know, he fancied her. They wrote her off, and then and then because that's not how the story dictated. They wrote her off in a brilliant scene. Was like we're going to Fiji, thus inspiring him why he wants mm. to go to Fiji and things like that. And that's a brilliant scene where where she becomes like um, someone. I don't want to use this analogy. She used to work at SeaWorld and now talks about like the evils of SeaWorld. You know, she's on the TV talking to Christoph about you know what you're doing is not right. And I love. Christoph in this because he's such an arsehole but he's not an arsehole who wants world domination he thinks he's created he's an art. artist yeah. and I just think that's next level bad guy he's yeah. like there's nothing wrong here I'm just creating a piece of art and what I really love about Christoph is you can Christopher is you can he can the character can now if you look at Ed Harris's character uh, filmography it's very believable like Christoph then joined the army and tried to take over the rock and then after that failed he became a conductor on <laughs> in Snowpiercer because the character is pretty much the same in all three films yeah uh, Ed, Ed Harris has had this run of movies where if he came to your door or if he introduced himself don't answer don't the door don't answer the door say the fuck away from get away, him get away from Ed Harris he's bad news but um, but I think this was also a daring um, for him to take I think this was a chance this was, I don't think Hollywood was like, well, at what point do you get hit in the face with a pie? It's like, yeah. Jim Carrey's like, oh, I don't. And like, Ooh. But he does get them comic relief bits. They, you know, there, oh, is, they there is a brilliant moment where he's in the mirror and he does the space helmet and he's, you know, and he's acting as if he's like, and then he looks at the camera and says, that one's for you or that one's for free or something. Yeah. And it's that starting to imply that he's onto something and he's starting to work it out. This, I love the bit when he goes to the uh, travel agent and there's a big poster behind him with like, <laughs> of the plane. Yeah, it could happen light to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like, it's just, and uh, you know, you got to think of as well, like the torment of that character. Like, you know, his parents are actors and one of his parents, again, as the, similar to uh, the character that you just mentioned a moment ago, uh, the love interest got wrote out because he started to want to, you know, he tells Truman, he's like, it's all an act, it's all for you, Truman. It's, and they wrote him off saying that he died in a sailing accident. I it, it, there's there's so much greatness about it. Like <clears throat> when he starts to lose it, he goes into 
he goes into a room and the set wall's not there. It's just someone having lunch. <laughs> yeah. just fucking love that. Yeah. And then it comes on the new, like she comes in later and goes, oh, did you hear they're doing some work on this building? And he's like, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then obviously one of the stage lights falls and he thinks it's a satellite. And then on the news, it's like, oh, you won't believe it. Parts of a space shuttle are raining down on the, on, on C-Bank or whatever it is. And, um, and, and that they do that when they're having a, they talk about all the times that the fourth wall's been broken. Mm. It's like the guy hiding a Christmas present when he's a kid. Or like the guy parachutes down. Yeah. <laughs> and I fucking love all of it. Truman Show is a fantastic... Where did you watch that? Have you got it? Or? I've got it, yeah. It's also on um, NatTV. Oh, amazing. Yeah, Truman, Truman Show, it's just... It's a vault movie. It, uh, it's, it's a vault it, movie. It's one of the best films. I just fucking love it. I would never get bored of watching this movie. <laughs> I watch it less now, obviously, because I've got the time to watch it every night. Yeah. But... I, I will always revisit this movie. It's a, it's, a, it's a comfort blanket. So I have a rotation of films <clears throat> and uh, The Truman Show would be one I watch every five years. Mm. Would you suggest that we upgrade it? Oh, definitely, yeah. You didn't tell me that Mahesh Ali was Invincible. Yeah, I did. He plays oh, the, the rock guy. I was going to say, I've watched Invincible now. You finished it? Yeah, I'm up to date. The next, the last episode's on uh, Friday. I'm one behind, so I've got two to go. I'll watch that and and the one after. But uh, no, you absolutely cracking like that the uncle must die in a Superman origin film. Uh, in an origin, mm. so the uncle dies in this one. But mm. he still goes farther, but his uncle still dies mirroring Uncle Ben's for Peter Parker. Uh, the sequel for that must be coming out soon. Got it. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's animation. It takes time to, yeah, but to it's do it. But it was, computer, I think, isn't pretty it? soon it was greenlit as well, wasn't it? Yes, they did too when they were going to do a TV series because Sony had something mm. and they were like, mate. <clears throat> the, I, one thing I like as well about, um, the, I watched, I listened to an interview with the guys that, that, that a lot of the creators and they said the good thing about animation is you can put in secret messages that the whole world's going to see, but you, it's in there for one person, you yeah. know, like a love letter to their kid or their spouse or whatever it may be. And they like, it's riddled full of inside jokes and just things that only one person on this planet is going to get, you know, background images, names, that kind of stuff. And I love that about animation. You can subtly put in those things. I agree. Um, it's like going back to our childhood when you look at reruns of things like Rugrats and you see how many of them Word like fucking adult jokes. Yeah, how many adult yes. jokes are in the Rugrats? The story about babies and toddlers. Yeah, it's fucking it's mind boggling, isn't it? When you see it. Um, yeah, Spider Verse, Wicked. Any other films? I've got one. It was it was a big one. Oh yeah, Escape from Pretoria. Oh, Danny Radcliffe. Yeah, so I messaged you the other day. And was like watching this. I didn't see. It. I did. I wanted to watch it, but I didn't. I I I know though from an interview in and in a review um, that he's. Uh, oh fuck! It's now thirty gone. We're done. The escape from Pretoria, we'll have to wait till another day. Oh, well, that's it then. Mate, these are the rules. When we did Clint Eastwood, we spoke about Clint Eastwood. Maybe if we didn't talk about the Demon Master for like 20 minutes. Then that's where we went wrong. <laughs> no, because you know what? I fucking enjoyed that. <laughs> I learned <laughs> so, loads. So this is, bit, no, there we go. That was the best bit. <laughs> best bit with this stop talking about fucking movies. <laughs> Relive my childhood in them scenes. Uh, no, that's an hour and a half. We're done. We're that's done. it. If we're it does it later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.